you have your Bibles, you can turn. We're going to be in Luke chapter 23. Uh, if you have your smartphone or a device, you can go to the Bible app, and there's an event uh, that's there as well. Uh, one thing that's, that's great about today, this is our last Sunday of the month, and every last Sunday of the month, we have our bilingual service. So the, the second service, the 11 o'clock, will be bilingual as well. Many of you are learning Spanish, practicing Spanish, and if you'd like to practice a little more Spanish, you can hang around for the second service at 11 o'clock for bilingual. Um, Christy and I were missionaries in Central America, and one of the things that we experienced was being away from home. Now, the strange thing about me in particular, my home actually was Costa Rica. So um, I grew up there as a missionary kid. My parents were missionaries there, if you've met my mom and dad. And uh, so as a nine-year-old kid, moved to Costa Rica, learned the language, had to learn the culture, and grew up there. And, and a lot of my friends uh, still to this day are Costa Ricans. And so when, when I moved there with Christy, we would plan trips back to the States because this was home uh, for Christy, but also as, a, as we got kids. But there's always these things that we wanted to experience when we came back to the States. And it always was food-related. I, I mean, it was people-related and food-related uh, because you go and, and it's rice and beans and plantains and um, there's fruit everywhere and there's vegetables and the, the smoothie drinks. They're all really, really great in Central America. The food's really good. Right, Isaac? I mean, we dream about these trips and, and we have our special places. We go and we sit and we eat. But there's something about coming back to the States. I mean, we landed in Oklahoma City and we would always have some choices that we wanted to go to. There's Ted's was a big one for a long time. It was like, we have to go to Ted's on a trip. Uh, pizza, now the pizza here in the States is, is better than the pizza there. And so we'd have to go eat pizza. Um, also barbecue brisket, I mean, there's no barbecue brisket in Central America. And so, um, true story, I was a vegetarian, or actually a vegan for several years, and I came back for a trip. We went to Earl's and I fell off the wagon. I've been off the wagon ever since. I mean, that's, that was like 10 years ago, so um, I probably should get back on that. But, uh, but anyway, you know, you have these places we wanted to go, and my experience was we'd come home, and it was like this homecoming experience, and we would go eat, and inevitably I'd be sicker than anything for several days because we just like overdid it on the, the joys of coming home and experiencing that. Now, my kids would want to go to Chick-fil-A, and eh, they can have Chick-fil-A, but I mean, I would at least take them there so they could experience that, you know. Uh, but it, when you come home, it's always exciting. Now, if you have your own experience, uh, whether you grew up here or grew up in another place, anytime you go home, there's these expectations of going home. It's like a, a homecoming expectation. Uh, scripture actually has the greatest promise for all of humanity, and it talks about an eternity in heaven with God forever. And, and, and it kind of messes with our minds because the idea of eternity and the idea of heaven um, is kind of a wondrous mystery. It's a, as, as much as we long for the afterlife with God, there's a lot of clouded understanding and it's kind of wrapped up in mystery and we really don't know what it is. And so when we think about it, you know, scripture talks about streets of gold and no more pain. And, and for some reason over the years, people have like whittled it down to like clouds and harps, and floating, and isolation, and really just bright, and boring. I mean, that's really what people have done, is they've boiled heaven down into this isolated harp on a cloud experience. And I know that the truth is, if you have small kids, you dream for that, just for a minute. But all it takes is a couple days on a cloud with a harp, and you're like, all right, what else am I going to do? The thing about heaven is heaven is indescribable. It is, a, it is an experience that is incredibly, um, is far beyond anything we could ever think or imagine. And what God has promised us is a homecoming where we are actually going to be with the Father and never experience uh, loneliness or pain or isolation ever again. And it's going to be an adventure for eternity, all of eternity. Scripture actually says that Jesus left to prepare a place for us 
and for you, and he's excited about your arrival at home. And our, our hearts, as you know Jesus, as you encounter Jesus, as you have an experience with Jesus, there's this longing in our hearts to be with him and to be with him for eternity. And that's the, the, the preparation that he has as he's waiting anxiously to welcome us home. In John 14, he says there in the first couple of verses, I've gone to prepare, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when it's ready, I'm going to come get you. And all of us have this thing in our hearts for homecoming. Last week, we sang a, a new song for Bethel. It was called Homecoming. And the, the opening of the song says this, Lord, I confess that I, am, I have been a criminal. I've stolen your breath and sang my own song. And Lord, I confess that I'm far from innocent. These shackles I wear, I, oh, I bought on my own. And then it goes into the verse, or the chorus, and it says, These scarlet sins had a crimson cost. You nailed my debt to that old rugged cross. An empty slate at an empty grave. Thank God that stone was rolled away. As we experience Jesus and we analyze our relationship to Jesus and the cross and what it means, we end up, we grow, we grow in our, our, our realization of our need for the solution that the cross and the grave, the empty grave, brought. But in Western America and in Oklahoma and Yukon, Oklahoma and Oklahoma City, Oklahoma City Metro, there's something interesting that happens as we grow up we grow up in a good, a decent environment. We grow up in a decent community with decent education, with good education. We have opportunities for a job. We begin to provide for ourselves. We begin to make money. Our bank account gets full. And we end up not truly realizing our need for the Savior. And it's really difficult for someone that's doing very well to realize their need. And today, I, want, I actually want us to talk about the two criminals on the cross, but I also want to talk about the crowd that was there at the cross, and then I want to talk about the religious leaders, the critics that were at the cross, because we can actually identify with some of those uh, groups. There's, a, there's extra groups as well, but these three are the ones we're going to look at this morning. But as Jesus was crucified, we get insight into the struggle that it takes or the struggle we got to work through to submit to Jesus as the Savior. And we see it perfectly with these two men that were crucified right and left of Jesus. Both of these men deserved their fate. Both of these men were criminals. That's what Scripture says. Um, before I go any further, I want to make sure that, that the intent of this message is not talking about capital punishment or the morality of it. That's not what this message is about. It's just in that time and place, these two guys were, were um, convicted of a crime and they were crucified next to Jesus, our Savior. I want us to dig in and look at this in Luke chapter 23, and we're going to start in verse 32. It'll be here on the screens and then also um, in the Bible app. It says right there, two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. Now, you remember the scene of the cross is that Jesus was, was beaten uh, they had placed a crown of thorns on his head. He was made to carry his cross a certain play, way, and then this, this guy they just pulled out of the crowd had to carry his cross the west, rest of the way to Golgotha. And then these two others, these criminals, uh, that word criminal in the original Greek is the word for malefactor or a, someone that act, actually has broken the law. And so these two guys, both criminals, were led out and executed with him. When they came to a place called the Skull, they nailed him, this is talking to Jesus, about Jesus, to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right, one on his left. <clears throat> Jesus said, Father, forgive them, 
for they don't know what they're doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he is really God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with these words, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested. Don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when, you're in, when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today you will be with me in paradise. As you're looking at this scene, it's easy to focus on Jesus, the suffering Savior, and then focus on these two criminals, these words that come out of their mouth. And, and when we look at the criminals, you can look at them and realize they even know, now one of them is kind of belligerent, but they know that they are guilty of their crimes. They've been accused, they've been tried, they've been proclaimed guilty. Uh, these two had, been, had given them, themselves to a life of chaos. They had gone so far as to earn a death sentence publicly in front of everyone in the most humiliating way. There are many, actually, who have lived and experienced a life of indulgence today. It's really, really, uh, you can walk around, you can meet people that have been in and out of trouble with the law, and they've basically embraced everything that life has to offer. Uh, many have stepped into criminal behavior, abuse, addiction, robbery, and you name it, total disregard for their fellow man. And, and we all cry out for justice when it comes to a person like this, like they are going to get what's coming to them. And we see these two guys on the cross, and they eventually did. Uh, once accused, tried, and convicted, and sentenced, they began to pay for their crimes. This is what people do today, is they end up paying for their crimes. Many acknowledge their guilt. And some of them, while they're in prison, I've heard some incredible stories of people coming to faith uh, in prison, understanding their guilt, repenting of their actions, coming to faith in Christ. The consequences continue that they have to pay for their guilt, but they go through this restoration through the process of paying for the debt and the crimes that they've committed. But there's others, and it's a very famous saying in prison, everyone's innocent. And you've, you've heard it in the movies, you've seen it, but even among people that are pretty bad people, they claim innocence throughout the whole process and never, ever acknowledge their guilt. Not to say that people aren't wrongly condemned. This reality affects every human to ever exist. We have to ask our question, ourselves the question, am I guilty or am I innocent? And the truth is, you talk to a kid, and most kids, when, as they're growing up, you ask them, hey, are you, have you ever done something wrong? Oh, no, never. Have you ever lied? Oh, no. You ever taken anything that's not yours? No. Have you ever hit your sibling? No. Right, have you guys ever done that with your kids? But there's a day when it comes that the kid hits it, like it hits them and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, I actually have punched them and I have actually stolen something or I have actually lied. It's the realization as we go. And Paul addressed this to the church at Corinth. And there's, there's, this, there's this simple fact of being human that we have an inclination and a, a temptation to sin, to step out of line. And what Paul does is he writes here in Corinthians and he basically puts everybody a, as a guilty person. And this is where it becomes offensive for most of us, but he puts everyone on, on, on trial. He says right here, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. 
Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he goes on to verse 11 and he says, some of you were once like that. Some of you actually acknowledge your past, but you were cleansed, you were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. There's something at stake here acknowledging guilt or innocence, and the whole thing at stake is the kingdom of God. And when people read this, they say, as long as I don't do these things, then I'll make it into the kingdom of God. Well, the, the, the issue with it is when we look at this list, there's very few of us that actually can escape this list of things, this list of, you know, things that are not going to allow you to inherit the kingdom of God. The, the key is in the verb tense here. It says, those of you that are and do and practice continually. There's something about meeting Jesus that stops that activity in someone's life, or at least the struggle for that activity is there to not indulge. But here's where, here's, here's the, here's where it gets really, really difficult, is that the kingdom of God is at stake, and there's one process of guilt to restoration, acknowledging your guilt. And this is made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we all understand the process of saying, I'm sorry. We all understand the process of asking for forgiveness. We all understand the process of humbling ourselves and trying to make a relationship right. Where it gets tricky is when we're accused of being just as bad as the criminal on the cross. And almost all of us have this objection to be put in the same category as those two guys on the cross. And so we end up looking at them and we end up justifying our behavior and saying, I'm not as bad as them. They deserve what they got, but I'm not like them. And here's where it comes to interesting in the, in the narrative right there at the cross. Verse 35, it says, the crowd watched and the leaders scoffed. And so we have these two groups of people that were watching the criminals being crucified. The criminals, it's obvious. It's like, repent or not. You're guilty or you're not. Say you're sorry or not. It's, it's, that's the choice is pretty clear. But here's where, here's where it gets interesting is that they said, say he saved others, let him save himself if he's really God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. You should go study that. That's a despicable thing that they did to him. That was a cleaning agent uh, in that day. They called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Here's, here's the, the part about the crowd. The crowd watching this unfold is probably where a lot of us land. Not as bad as a criminal to be caught and to be condemned to death, but someone watching because in our hearts we long for justice and we see a guilty person condemned and a guilty person paying for their crime. And the crowd watched this brutal execution of criminals, and Jesus is at the center, and I wonder how many of those people assumed that he was just as guilty as the criminals. They watched the scene play out in front of them, and it's just like us flipping on the news or seeing things happening around our country. We in our minds begin to say, oh yeah, justice is going to come, and they're going to pay for what they did. Here's what Jesus was doing, is Jesus was paving the way for the crowd to join the family of God, just like he was paving the way for the criminal to join the family of God. And that becomes offensive. Most of the crowd had no idea 
that they would need the one crucified right there in front of them in order to bridge them to the Father. None of them had any idea that that moment was the moment that he would say it is finished, buried, and then rose from the grave, and they'd have to put their trust in this man that was murdered as a criminal. They asked themselves questions like this, why do I need Jesus if I was not as guilty as a criminal? I'm not as bad as they are, or in comparison, I'm a saint. I'm a good person, I'm a good citizen, I respect the laws, work hard, and I pay my taxes. Many of us are just like that in the crowd. It's hard to acknowledge and recognize our guilt. We like it when the bad guys get what's coming to them. Here, here's what's really despicable if you watch a movie that the bad guy is just really evil, really, really evil. As the movie progresses, what's the, what, what rises in your heart? Oh, I hope he dies. And when the end, if they get him, you're like, oh, yeah. And you, you cheer and you jump up and you, you yell. So, so that's the evil in our heart because we want someone to die, right? Is that, is that just me? Okay, you guys are really, you guys are way too good for me. All right. Well, then we see this other group of people, and it's the religious leaders. And I wonder how many of us act like this. These are the guys that are actually happy to carry out the condemnation of the criminal. They're happy to murder an innocent man. These were the ones who were scared to lose their power and influence over the people. They had constructed a religious system and they were really worried that someone was going to come in and mess up the good thing they had going. They looked down at the man who was trying to impose a change into their system, and they were committed to the religion and to rightness. Jesus was also setting the stage for them joining the family of God. Think about Nicodemus and think about Joseph of Arimathea, who were secret followers of Jesus in the religious system. And they were going along with everyone ready to crucify Jesus. The hardest people to recognize their dependence on Jesus are good people. Good people. The better of a person you are, the less you have to admit your need for Jesus. Is that not the society we live in? There's a lot of good people around us. There's a lot of people doing a lot of good things. There's a lot of people giving their time to help the poor. And they say to themselves, God, look, I am, uh, look at my devotion just because of my devotion, let me in. Or I'm serving God, of course I'm a good person. Or of course I'm on the right team. I have nothing to repent of. I'm a spiritual person. And the talk of spirituality and the talk of religion today is at its peak where people are good enough. And many religious people conform to the whims and the requirements of a system and miss the relationship and grace of the Savior. I wonder where we find ourselves looking down our noses that we're better because we haven't experienced certain things in our lives. So most of us fall into the, one of these categories. We're either the criminal where we, yeah, I'm, I'm just guilty and I, yeah, that's it. Or the crowd where you're kind of looking on with fascination like, oh yeah, that guy deserves that. Or the religious people or the critic that's actually pointing fingers at other people saying that they're better than everyone else. All three groups need Jesus. All three groups choose, have to choose Jesus or can choose Jesus. All three groups live eternally together. All three groups must walk through the door of Jesus. And all three are eternally dependent on Jesus. But the needs are different. Heaven was more real for the criminal <laughs> because he's right at the door of death. He saw eternity clear. Look what it says there in verse 39. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it. 
by saving yourself. Oh, and while you're at it, take us with you. Save us too. He was making fun of him. But then the other criminal said, don't fear God. Don't you fear God? Even when you've been sentenced to die, we deserve to die for our crimes, but this man has done, hasn't done anything wrong. And look at these words that he said, and it was simple. He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. There's that word kingdom again. That's what's at stake. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you'll be with me today uh, in paradise. One of the criminals embraces Jesus. The other one rejects him. And they were both acute of their need. They were both acute of their guilt. And yet only one decided to trust him. And maybe, maybe today you're a criminal. Maybe you're in the crowd. Maybe you're a religious person. And you're simply whispering in your heart, your soul, remember me. Jesus, remember me. Don't forget me. Help me. If you're an observer in the crowd and you're taking notes of what's happening around you and you live a decent life and you realize something is off, something is missing, you've tried to fill your life with all the pleasures of life and something is still not right, all you got to do is look up. Jesus wants to welcome you home. Quite possibly you find yourself in the, with the critics. This is really my upbringing. I grew up in a good home. Grew up, uh, my parents were in ministry. They were doing good things out of the country, in the States. And this self-righteous attitude became a very normal part of my life. And I hadn't experienced a lot of the heartache and pain that a lot of my friends had experienced. And as I grew older, the self-righteousness got so strong that condemnation was just on everyone around me. Until one day I was 18 and I realized that I was more lost than most criminals. And I realized as a self-righteous teenager that I was in greater need of the Savior because of the pride that was in my heart. You might find yourself in that group pointing fingers and your religion is hollow and shallow. You're in need of the release of the bonds of the system of religion. And Jesus is there and he says, it's simple. All you've got to say is remember me. Both the crowd and the critic agree on the punishment of the criminal. And the criminal receives grace easier from the Father. But that same grace draws the crowd and the criminal. So where are you? Are you a criminal where you've seen the life that you've been given and you acknowledge your guilt? Are you in the crowd where you're looking at the execution and the justice carried out on the criminal and acknowledge your dependence on Jesus? Or maybe you're the critic and you, you serve God, you trust him, you trust, sorry, in your knowledge, and now you realize you need to depend on Jesus. Love the last part of this song. It says, And heaven joins in with a glorious sound, and the great cloud of witnesses all gather around, because the ones who were lost are finally found. The Father is welcoming, welcoming. This is our homecoming. Jesus invites all, saints and sinners alike. And if you look at your heart honestly, it's a lot harder if you think you're a saint. Let's pray. Jesus, this morning we are um, once again in awe of who you are, that you would look at us and even in our own pride and self-righteousness, you would love us and care for us and draw us in. God, we look at this example of the criminal that was obvious and still one rejected forgiveness. 
We see the crowd where they were astonished and, and celebrating the death of innocent, an innocent man and guilty men. And then the religious leaders got oppressing people with the system and looking down. I, I find myself in, in some of those categories all the time. Jesus, thank you for coming into this world and not condemning, but loving. May the whispers of our heart this morning say, remember me. Before we close this morning, that may be simply your prayer. That you acknowledge your, where you are and you simply say, remember me. Let's all stand and worship together. You guys can have a seat. Um, I think the, the one that I most identified with today uh, was the criminal, the burglar. Yeah, because you're pretty bad. Um, well, you know, I mean, yeah, I, th- I think we, well, we could all say that, <laughs> that we've done. But I mean, um, I think it hit me because he was faced with like imminent death. Yeah. Like his was like really imminent death. And this year I've gone through something that I've never gone through before. And it's being like, none of us know how long we have. We know that. Right. But having a doctor say to you, Without treatment, you probably have three months. Right. And, and, and looking at your life that way has, is different. And it actually can be a beautiful thing. And that's what I was thinking of sitting there is that it's, it's a beautiful thing to be able to have the chance to keep living or to do well with what time you have left. Right. And um, so that's what I thought of, the, the idea of, okay, I want to really look at your life and be like, what am I doing? Am I, what am I doing with my time? Am I using it well? Or let's make some changes. And, and we have that opportunity to, to take the time that we have and do good with it. And so, I don't know, that's what came to my mind is just thinking about the criminal looking at Jesus and being like, yes, take me with you. Like, I believe. And um, when we're at the end of our life, that could seem easy. But I want to challenge you guys we don't know how much life we have. Yeah. And so to think about that and to, to use your days well. Yeah, I think the three uh, scenarios, you have the, the guy that's acutely aware that right. he's, uh, his life's over. Right. But I think the, the crowd might be the most difficult one because it's just more unawareness in general. Just like, you know, life's happening. Not super religious, not, not a criminal, just kind of doing life and a decent person. That's probably right. the hardest one. So right. our need is pretty real. It is. That's it. Okay. All right. Thank you guys so much for being here. Um, I think it, like when we have a day like this and we have things that we discuss and we, we take the Lord's Supper and we remember what he's done for us, I, I challenge you not to just do this and run away, you know, not skip away, right? Because we're going to skip out of here today. But right. to take it with you, right, to remember the sacrifice that Christ made for you as you leave today. And we at Bethel exist to love and lead one another to find and follow Jesus. Have a great one. Love you guys.